From the University of Colorado Boulder in the Rocky Mountains, this is See You at the Libraries, where information becomes knowledge through storytelling. I'm your host, Megan Friedel, Head of Archives at the University Libraries. On this week's episode, we're looking back at the history of Colorado music, particularly from the mid-1960s and 1970s. At the heart of that music scene in Colorado, and especially at CU, was renowned rock and roll photographer Dan Fong, who I'm speaking with today. He's a CU alum who always seemed to be in the right place at the right time, capturing the heart of the golden age of Colorado's rock history from all angles. Last year, the University Library's archives acquired over 140 photographs covering Dan Fong's extensive career. These images include shots of Dan's work for the Rolling Stones, the Who, and the Doobie Brothers, as well as photos from shows at CU Boulder. You really need to see the photos to believe them, trust me but the stories behind these images are equally as wonderful. So Dan, old friend, I have a lot of questions for you, so let's get started. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about how you got into photography. I started taking pictures when I was real young, maybe 10 years old, nine years old. My uncle gave me what they call an Argus 35 millimeter camera. And back at that time, most of the cameras were roll film. So we we're talking about large negative. So I started processing pictures in the basement and stuff. And then I became the school photographer for the junior high school newspaper. My first photo assignment was with President Eisenhower in 1962. I met Eisenhower at the private airport Combs Aviation is what it was called. And since I was a little kid, I could stand in front of all the other photographers. And the fact that I was able to stand right next to Eisenhower and take photographs is pretty crazy. Those photos are really exceptional. I know I've said that to you before. And also I have to ask, were you short? Because it looks like you're looking up at him. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. If you look down in a twin lens reflex camera, I'm looking down in the camera and I'm short. So that's the perspective because I was short. And I didn't see these photographs and intensely look at them until I found the photographs at my mother's house when she died in 2016. And I was pretty amazed that they were so good. I mean, it was a lot to clean up the negatives because I just had thrown these negatives into a cardboard box and that's where they stayed for, I don't know, 50 years. So not knowing it, basically that's where my destiny was. Really stunning photographs for somebody who was that young. And I think you're right. That was in you from the beginning. So I've known you for a while now. And I think everywhere I've ever seen you, you have a camera somewhere on your body. And at any moment, you could just whip it out and start taking pictures. So was that kind of how you were back then too? Basically, I was taking photographs of a lot of things. And when you look at my work, you're basically looking at my life. It's what I was experiencing and what I saw at the time that was happening. You starting to take photos of music was just you walking around with your camera strapped on your body and you're like, well, I'm here now. I might as well take a picture. Is that how it kind of all started? Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're looking at something and you're in awe and, you know, you're going, wow, you better be taking pictures. I mean, I love what you just said about just being in awe. I mean, that was just an extraordinary time for music. 
that was the era when all these nationally touring bands are starting to come into Colorado. So it seems like you were just kind of perfectly positioned to be the person who was in the thick of things taking photos. Yeah, and it's weird how that who thing came around. I mean, I became really good friends with them, and I basically met a photographer who painted those big paintings of album covers they used to have at record stores and at the Fillmore West and the Fillmore East. And he knew the who, and they wanted him to do some original paintings. So I went with them, met the who, did a lot of photographs that he could use, but my relationship with the who continued on. And I did a lot of stuff with him. So in the late 60s and 70s, when you were shooting a lot of music in Colorado, I'm just curious, is there a most memorable show for you from that period that you shot? Well, uh, probably The Who at Mammoth Gardens. I played two shows there in 1970, and they said that that show was probably one of the best they'd done in their entire career. And what would you say was the most challenging show you shot from that period? Well, I think back then it was a lot less challenging because there was restrictions. obviously, but they were easy to get around. Like The Who, it was the first time I'd ever been mobbed by a crowd in a limousine. It was the first time that, you know, you get to the venue and people are clawing at the cars and stuff. I had never experienced that before. And then when I got on the stage at Cobo Hall, and it was the first time that I was on stage at a concert where it was sold out and the kids were going crazy. And I'm going, wow, you know, I want more of this. So it was really interesting because I really probably started at the top. I didn't do this whole crawl up the ladder to try to get there. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And all of a sudden I'm sitting in the back of a limousine with the hoop. Barry Faye, the legendary Colorado rock promoter. So you have told me over the years a lot of behind the scenes stories. We're hearing a couple right now, but I would love for you to share at least one that kind of sums up the environment that you were working in during this time in the late 60s and 70s in Colorado's music scene. Well, I think one of the big environments are the concerts that were on uh, the field Norland Library. I mean, here we are. Well, I don't know how many that field holds, but if you see the photographs, I mean, it's from the steps of the library all the way to those back trees. That's a lot of people. You're talking about this show with Mountain on the steps of Norland Library. Mountain and Zephyr. No security, free show. You know, just a totally different attitude. Yeah, it's crazy to see in those photos, just people sitting literally right at the feet of Felix Popolardi and Leslie West, just just they're right there. There's people sitting on the amps. And I can't imagine that the sound quality was very good. It was pretty good. There was a sound guy, David Hadler, and he provided the sound for a lot of these gigs. And it was good. It was actually really good. As a matter of fact, when I was talking to the Dean of the library, Robert, he was telling me that when he first got here, he was walking to the library and there was another person who had went to school during that period of time. 
And he said, yeah, I, I was a freshman. And the first thing I heard was Mountain. And Mountain's played for free in the front of the New Orleans Library. And I'm thinking, man, I came to the right place to go to college. <laughs> no kidding. That's incredible. What was that, 1970, 1971? Yeah, something like that, yeah. So what was unique about photographing music on CU's campus during that period? Well, there were no restrictions. What makes my photographs unique is they're always, most of the time, on stage. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what was cool about that is because I knew enough people that I was on stage. And for instance, when the Stones played in 1972 at the Denver Coliseum, I was the only photographer that was allowed to shoot. And the reason why was I knew all the security guys and they kept all the other photographers out. They just kicked them out. <laughs> and once you're backstage, and this has been kind of my formula, is once you meet the performers, and you get to know them. And then all of a sudden you're outside on stage or around it taking photographs. It's a lot different. You know, it's kind of you're accepted into the family that's there doing the show. So it's a totally different thing. I have to ask you, Dan, the Grateful Dead have had a really long association with CU. I gotta ask you if you've got any good backstage stories about the dead at Folsom. Not <laughs> time. But uh, <laughs> Wait, no, really? I mean, the biggest stories were Osley. Osley Stanley, yeah. You know, the father of LSD had just gotten out of jail. You know, he's the one that did all the LSD for Timothy Leary, the dead, all these people that were professing all the great things about LSD. Osley was the one that made him. And yes. he was at CU posing as a roadie because he'd just gotten out of jail. And I don't think he was supposed to travel out of California. He was on parole. So, he, you know, he came to Colorado and all the crew had Osley acid. You know, they had like mirroring eyedrop bottles with Osley acid in it. So they go around and they were dosing all the fruit and food and, you know, the Oasis water bottles. But you could always ask for some. So... You know, I kind of looked at it and said, well, this is probably the best acid in the world and I'll probably never, ever get to see what that's like. <laughs> yeah, you've got that great photo that you shot of him backstage looking down at the dead plague and he's got this little impish grin on his face. It's just so great. For this. You know, it's not a photo of Jerry. It's not a photo of the rest of the band. It's a photo of Owsley. And it's just this kind of really interesting window and in kind of that backstage life that the dead had at Folsom. What happened at that concert is there were some Boulder drug dealers that had smuggled in 40 pounds of pot in the speakers, you know, that they used to amplify. And they had all the pot wrapped up in little baggies. And there was enough pot for maybe two or three joints. They had papers in there and stick matches. So it was like little packages during the concert Somebody would run out into the audience with these big grocery sacks of these little packages and they throw them into the audience. The cops followed me home after that concert. <laughs> I bet they did. <laughs> Lately it occurs to me change direction just a little bit you know you have shared with me your experiences about being a Chinese American student at CU 
I wonder if you feel comfortable talking about that and how that affected you. By the time I got to see you, I was president of my class. I had gone to Thailand, I experienced the Vietnam War. And so I think one of the things that stands out in my mind is doing fraternity rush before my freshman year. And there was probably about five of us minority students. I can remember a African-American kid, me, can't quite remember what the other kids were like, but there was this little group of us. So when we went to do the rush thing at the fraternities, they would take us, stick us in a room and have us sit there for a while by everybody else. It was really racist, blown out. Like the other kids kind of went, oh, and I'm going, this is, you know, it's terrible, you know? And uh, I didn't have a really good attitude towards the fraternities and sororities at that time. And during that period of time, my cousin, who went to see you, married the president of the Pi Phi house. And they just were upside down over it because this Chinese person was going to marry this blonde Pi Phi girl. Who, she was the president of the house, too. You know, as you started taking more photographs, and you're talking about all the access that you got and that you were the one that Phelan Production Berry Phase Company chose to use as their photographer. Did you experience any discrimination from other photographers for you being a minority in a mostly white world? I would say there were some people, not very many. One of them was Willie Nelson, of course, but there weren't very many actually. And that whole thing with Barry, I'll give you an example of what happened to my life after I graduated from college, okay? Just one of those things that I was in the right place at the right time, just like my entire life has been. So I graduated from college with a degree in business, marketing and a real estate secondary. And the only reason I graduated from CU like that is because I could not afford, my family couldn't afford to send me someplace else to go to photography school. And then there's really no photography program in Colorado, right. you know, at the time. So I went to business school. It cost me $242 a semester Dang. for us 18 hours. That's wow. pretty expensive. When I graduated from college, I had a job lined up to be a broker and an insurance salesman. And I decided, man, I can't do that. So I opened up a photo studio that was only three blocks from the first underground radio station in wow. Colorado, KFML. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I went down there and made a deal with them that I would take photographs of all the bands that came in to do interviews in exchange for advertising on the radio. Then all of a sudden, Barry Faye comes along in the Rolling Stones and the station decides they're gonna throw a party for the Stones and I was the one that was gonna cook for it. So I did this big 13 course luau dinner for Mick Jagger behind Barry Faye's house. And then all of a sudden from that point on, I was working for Barry. So it's, it's like, you know, I just kind of went with the flow. I think the first thing I did catering rise in the rock and roll world was Warner Brothers had a big party up at the Matterhorn restaurant, which used to be on the hill on Highway 93 overlooking Boulder. So everybody met at Mile High Stadium, got on buses, went up to Boulder for this party, and then they brought everybody back down. Well, I catered wine and hors d'oeuvres on the buses. 
up to this party and people that were on the buses were like Cheech and Chong, John Denver, Peter Yarrow from Peter, Paul and Mary. Wow. There was this group called Redbone. It was American Indian group. So that was like my first thing. And then I did the Stones thing. I mean, in 69, when the Stones played Fort Collins just as a practice show before that tour, they got like cold cuts and white bread backstage. You know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, I got famous for taking care of the groups backstage. So your photos were recently featured on the new HBO special for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's induction ceremony. Yeah, I think I've been really instrumental. I was basically was doing my old job that I used to do at the Doobie Brothers because their new manager has only been with them for four years. And there was really nobody for the producer to talk to. And when this producer started talking to people about getting footage and photographs. Everybody kept saying, well, you need to talk to Dan Fong. You need to talk to Dan Fong. And so he finally had one of his production assistants trace me down. And that's when the first time I talked to him was August the 17th. So since August the 17th, I've been kind of like the historian telling them what was going on, circumstances providing them photographs for that. Yeah, and you've also got your photos in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, correct? For the Doobie Brothers? Right, yeah. So a lot of my work will be in the museum display and stuff. So exciting. Well, Dan, I think it might be the point in the interview where you get to ask me some questions. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> look these questions at me. Well, no. What made you decide that you wanted this collection for me? Oh, that was a no-brainer for me. You know, I'll never forget when I first met you. You know, I got this out of the blue invitation. Gosh, what was that? 2014. Yeah. To come see this photographer's rock and roll exhibit down at a gallery in Cherry Creek. And I thought, hey, why not? Didn't know much about you, didn't know anything about your work. And I walk into the room, A, it's a who's who of Colorado rock, folk, music, celebrity. There's Harry Tuff from the Denver Folklore Center. There was- Richie Fure. Yeah, Richie Fure, Freddie from Freddie Henchy, Doc Bartley. So already my jaws dropped. And then I start looking at the photos and there's the behind the scenes photos that you took with the Who and the Stones. Just beautiful, beautiful photography of Colorado musicians who are lesser known. And I'm walking around and I'm thinking exactly what you just said. You know, this guy just happened to be at the right place at the right time. I've never seen an archive that encapsulates this really crucial moment in Colorado's music history, which I think is a history that is not as well known as it needs to be in the United States. 
because Denver was the place. It was the stopover. You know, you play your show in Chicago, where are you going to go next? You're going to go to Denver before you go to LA and Barry Faye at the center of everything, bringing all that music to Colorado. So I've always loved this era and just the vibrancy of what was happening here. And the fact that you had this incredible archive. I mean, I've known you for five, six years now. I think I've probably seen maybe 2% of what you actually have in your archive. But that 2% is really astounding. And, you know, I've always thought one of the biggest holes in archival collections in our areas, nobody's really trying to document that moment in time and create a collection that encapsulates that and also touches on all the social change. And you've got photos in your collection of the Kent State protests in Denver. You've got incredible photos that, that I love living up in the mountains near Netherland. You've got photos of the counterculture community up in that area. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was this natural gap. And at CU, in our archives, we manage the American Music Research Center collections, which document the history of American music. So what a better fit than to have you be Mm. part of those collections and also the cornerstone for building a better collection, documenting Rocky Mountain music in particular and social change and the counterculture. So, I mean, I'm just thrilled. (laughs) I definitely want to thank you because you're one of the few people that really has believed in my work, you know, so without you, I wouldn't be there. Aw, thanks. You know, it goes both ways, man. You do incredible stuff. And the thing about it is just like meeting you, that's another example of being in the right place at the right time for me. I mean, I hadn't planned that, you know, it just one of those things that kind of like happen in my life. Do you want to ask me your other question? Well, which photograph do you like the most in the collection? I would have given anything to be in that crowd in front of Norland watching Zephyr play. I think too few people, even in Colorado, know who Zephyr was. You know, Candy Givens was the Janis Joplin of the Rockies. And that was the era that Tommy Boland was playing with Zephyr too. So you have this like, what was he, 18, 19 year old, absolutely virtuo guitarist. And then probably the wildest, most intense voice outside of Janice. And it's on the steps of our library in Norland. I would have loved to have been there. So that's just the show that I would have loved to have seen that you've documented. I love the photo that you took of Joni Mitchell in the field house at CU. He took it from behind her and she's got the stage lights in front of her. So the lights are coming through her hair and her arms are outstretched. She must have just finished a show. And it's this absolutely ethereal photo, just absolutely beautiful. You don't see Joni's face. You might not even be able to tell that it's her other than the caption that's on that photo that you put on. But I feel like it just kind of captures this magic that Joni had about her during that time. And then my other favorite is the photo that you took of Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band at Folsom. You have this absolutely intense action shot where like everybody on the stage is just so into the music. You've got the drummer, he's leaning forward and he's got this great crazy look on his face. And Bob Seger is like intensely focused on the crowd and you see the whole crowd behind them. And I think it's just so hard for people today to understand without seeing photos like yours, the amount of energy that was in their shows at Folsom 
with the stadium just completely packed. And that photo just completely captures it. And I think captures just the energy of that time. You know, it's like I say, what I've learned doing photographs in the music business, so you never know how much time you have to take photographs. I mean, you have to be ready to take photographs as soon as you get out of your car. I mean, you don't know what you're going to see. You don't know what's going to happen. The reason I have a lot of photographs backstage, well, obviously I could get backstage, but there are many times that groups won't let you on stage. So a lot of the great photographs I have are the ones that for backstage where nobody gets to go. And I've learned that. You just take as many photographs as you can, not knowing where the end point's going to be. It's just like the who, when I was in the dressing room, I was loading film as fast as I could. I would just start taking pictures, loading film, loading film, loading film. And really, <laughs> you know, you had a better idea of what I actually had than I did. So actually making me go into my archive to complete this collection was a really good idea because I found a lot of stuff. I worked on this collection for, I think about eight months. It could be so much bigger. I know. <laughs> well, I want to thank you as a friend, as a music lover, as a Colorado music lover in particular, and as head of archives at CU. I just want to thank you so much for donating your collection to CU and for talking with me today and sharing more of your story. You are a true legend in all senses of the word, and it's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you and what okay. you've done for me and probably you and what you've done for the community in terms of getting this work You can out check out there. selected photos from Dan Fong's collection in the University Library's archives in our online exhibit, Dan Fong, Music and Counterculture in Colorado. And don't forget to check out our specially curated playlist of music accompanying this collection, which can be found on our CU Boulder Library's Spotify account. Unfortunately, the Archives Public Reading Room in Norland Library is currently closed until further notice due to campus's response to COVID-19, but we're working on more ways to share our collections digitally. Please don't hesitate to reach out if you'd like to know more. Hi, I'm Micah Abram, the Director of Development at the University Libraries. Are you interested in supporting all of the great work we've highlighted in See You at the Libraries? Your donation can help us digitize more of the diverse collections from our archives or engage students with innovative resources. Join us in leading the way to an information-empowered world by giving to the Dean's Endowment Fund. Go to colorado.edu libraries. Scroll to the end of the page and click support the libraries. Thank you. Blair Woodcock produced this episode. Mark Losey is our editor. CU Boulder student Nikhil Thapa composed our theme music. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on your go-to streaming service. I've been your host, Megan Friedel. Thank you so much for tuning in. We can't wait to see you at the libraries. <laughs>